Warning, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics, and so shall I. One more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and entire podcast, so please proceed with extreme caution. Bosch had never liked Las Vegas, but he often came on cases. Both places desperate people ran to. Often when they ran from Las Vegas, they came here. It was the only place they had left. Beneath the veneer of glitz, money, energy, and sex, be they dark heart. No matter how much they tried to dress her up with the neon lights and family entertainment, she still was a whore. Hello, and welcome to the Thin Blue Line Podcast. I'm Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. Please subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to rate me five stars or better. Please follow me on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod and my Facebook and Instagram pages, which are set up just for my fans. Oh, oh, don't forget to join me at www.thethinbluelinepod for more investigative content, wherever you are finding more detailed experience concerning Michael Conley and Harry Bosch. Now all that bullshit is out the way, it's time to get to work and continue our probe into Michael Conley's famous book, Trunk Music. Last time on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we explored how a wise leader knows when to follow shape the last part of chapter one, Trunk Music. And today, we will take a deep dive into the first part of chapter two. As always, there's a prerequisite spoiler alert. It's my intention to stay away from spoilers, but sometimes shit happens. So please proceed with caution. And now, the Thin Blue Line Podcast, Harry Bosch. time to open up the murder book and turn the page to the chronological record so we can do an investigative summary on the information gathered thus far in this chapter. Bosch is sent to Las Vegas to track down what Tony Alicia was doing and who he may have came in contact with. While reviewing a video of Alicia's gambling, Bosch recognized one of the other poker players as former FBI agent Eleanor Wish. During a prearranged meeting with the investigative team, it was revealed that the IRS had opened up an investigation into Tony Licio's business. Bosch also informed the investigative team that Detective Carbone from OCID was asking around concerning his investigative efforts. To Bosch's glee, Lieutenant Billings instructed the investigative team to keep doing what they were doing, but be careful. Bosch later tracked down Eleanor Wish, but their meeting was filled with regret and resentment. Bosch then followed up at Dolly's, which is an adult entertainment club 
Tony Alicio frequented. While there, the owner-slash-manager Luke Goshen had one of his employees rough bosh up. Lucky confirmed a number of investigative leads concerning Alicio and his whereabouts while he was in Las Vegas. While leaving, Bosch retaliates against Gussie for assaulting him. And that brings us to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape and examine the clues. For the defining theme for the first part of Chapter 2, Trunk Music is When in Doubt, Go to the source. Hello, and welcome back to the Thin Blue Line podcast. And we start this episode off by viewing or seeing Michael Conley capturing again some investigative techniques. What I'm talking about here is after Bosch lands in Las Vegas, he goes to the hotel, and while he interviews or talks to the manager, the manager's kind of hesitant to give him some information because, of course, he's trying to protect the hotel. But Bosch used a tried-and-true investigative technique by uh, using the uh, manager's self-interest to promote Bosch's investigation or to move it forward. Bosch says, hey, you know, look, I don't think anything's going on with the hotel. Right now, we're just trying to keep the hotel out of our investigation. So cooperate as much as you possibly can, and let's try to keep it under the rug. And that's a classic investigative technique that we use to further our investigation by using the, um, the party's own interests against them. Now, I'm going to say something, and I've noticed I've been saying it more and more since I retired. But, you know, as investigators, I came up of the age before there were pagers and cell phones. And again, like in the early part of our book with Mike Connolly, you had to use the pay phone for this, the pay phone for that, and it had to use their rovers or the radio to make contact back to headquarters. And now we see Bosch and Billets and Ryder and Edgar and the whole investigative team having to do a call and Bosch had to rush back home to, or excuse me, rush back to the hotel to make sure he has a phone call with Billets or a whole investigative uh, team meeting. Now, nowadays, in 2021, uh, you know, we do that from a, uh, I could do that from my car doing a surveillance or whatever. You don't have to rush back to a fixed location. And, you know, sometimes I feel as though we lost something by being so attached to the office investigatively. Now, what I mean by that is I know a lot of times my supervisors uh, came up of the age of this new immediate contact. And let me contact the, uh, my officers right away. And so if you don't actually answer their telephone call or their text message or whatever, it became a big issue. I called you. Why didn't you answer your phone? Like, I'm doing an investigation. But, you know, that is some of my nostalgia. And again, I'm, I'm dating myself. And so, yeah, you know, it's just something I want to point out because when I was reading this book and getting prepar- and when I was reading the book, and getting prepared for the podcast, that kind of stood out to me. Now, one of the things that a good investigator always do is go through the motions. You know, it's, it's very easy to say, but it's so important to do. Now, what I mean by go through the motions, as you see here in the book, 
Bosch, after getting some cooperation from the manager, he goes up to Eliseo's room. And you can see, it's just like Edgar said before, he went there. Uh, it was already been cleaned. They turned the hotel rooms over really fast. So any investigative uh, or any um, evidence is probably destroyed and or tainted. But see, you have to go through the motions. Because when you don't go through the motions, then that becomes sloppy. And then that's a good way for the defense counsel to then attack you. So did you do this? Did you check that box? Did you do this? And we see Bosch by going through the motions, because some of us, is, it is easy to say, well, you know, the hotel room has already been cleaned. The maid has been through here. What am I going to find? But what did Bosch find? He found some glitter in the bathroom. And the same glitter matched uh, the cuffs of Tony Eliseo. So again, you would be amazed how important that possibly could be. Because now you can really tie, not only was Tony Eliseo had rented that room, but now we have evidence that the same sparkle or the same glitter that's in the, in the bathroom is in Tony Eliseo's um, cuffs. Again, something very small, very insignificant, but by going through the motions, you can see you can always rebuff any defense attorney by saying, well, did you search the room? Well, yeah, I did. Well, what did you find? Well, I mean, it wasn't much, but it was just glitter glitter, opposed to, no, I didn't search the room. Why didn't you? Because it was already clean. But did you even try, detective? So you see the difference between the two. So then we see Bosch go to Metro um, Police Department, and he meets up with a Captain John Felton. And Captain Felton just happened to be the connect or the liaison for any other law enforcement agencies that come to a big city like Las Vegas, New York. We had one here in the PD that I've worked with. But see, also, just give you guys some insight. I was the connect or the go-to because I remember I told you I was on a task force. So everybody who came into town, they all said, oh, go talk to Phil. You know, he can give you the lay of the land, blah, 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 blah. And some of this dance that's going on, I wanted to break down and slow it down a little bit for you because what happens between Bosch and Felton is pivotal, because, but it happens all the time. Felton asks Bosch, he says, so what do, we got, what do we have here? And Bosch, you know, gives him a really broad overview of the investigation. And Felton says, is that it? You're telling me everything? And Bosch, of course, Bosch lied, didn't tell him everything. And he said, oh my gosh, why wouldn't Bosch tell him everything? Well, this is the time, Bosch, you would never tell a stranger. Even though he's a, low, uh, a, a police officer, you're full investigation. You don't know who this Felton is. You don't know what ties he has to um, anything. And you don't just give out all your information, your investigative case information or intel to Felton. Now, on the other hand, Captain Felton has been around. And he asks the question, he says, well, is that it? You're telling me everything, right? He knows Bosch is not telling him everything. But it works to his benefit because everything Bosch doesn't tell him and he then follows up on and develops it more, he can always put his hands up and say, hey, your guy didn't tell me that. So you see, this, it's a delicate dance that goes around. And it happens, and again, I know you guys listen to me like, wow, cops play this type of game? Yes, we play that game all the time. But you got to admit, you don't just roll into some town and say, hey, I got this case and throw the whole case jacket on the ground so anyone who you don't know can see what your investigative efforts are. It just, I mean, it doesn't make sense. It's kind of sad, but 
it's human it's human nature too. It just doesn't make sense. But I wanted to point that out to you because something happens on later on. No spoilers, but things happen later on that we'll talk about that will bring this more to light. So then we see Bosch makes a phone call into Donovan and he asks Donovan, hey, um, is there anything back if, uh, anything came back on the prince? And Donovan tells him no, but Donovan tells him, tells Bosch that Detective Carbones has been sneaking around, you know. And Bosch like, ooh. But you know, you know, what did you tell him? You know, Bosch says, well, what did you tell him? He said, well, Harry, I kind of, you know, bragged about it. we got, we pulled Prince off Jackie. You know, that's kind of a rare thing. And then Bosch said, okay, don't worry about it. I and mean, what else? And you know, again, I like Donovan here because Donovan is part of the club and he's part of Harry Bosch's uh, life. And he has no problem throwing jabs back at Bosch. He says, well, I gave him a copy of The Prince. He goes, what? You did what? No, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You know, I, I like that. Again, I like how Bosch and Donovan, because again, yes, Donovan is the, the tech, but he's more than this, uh, the tech. You know, he is part of the investigative team. Harry has made Donovan part of the investigative team. Donovan has been here with us since the Black Echo. And so I like, again, how Michael Connolly keeps the, the cast of characters true to who they are, but not in an artificial way. Because I just feel as though I had technicians and people who I work with all the time, and just because they didn't carry a gun and badge didn't mean they were any less in our investigations. And again, you start to see that here with uh, Donovan. So then we see Bosch starting to interview some of the hotel employees about Aliso and his whereabouts that night and what he was doing, blah, blah, blah. But one of the things that we see, which is not optimal, is that Bosch is interviewing these employees with the manager standing in there. Now, again, I'm not sure why Michael Connolly did it this way. I do know some different departments kind of have different rules and regulations. But me personally, I would never want a manager to sit in the room. But again, remember we, it's a balancing act we're doing here because the manager is giving you full access to his hotel and being very accommodating. So you really can't push the police thing too hard. So I'm assuming that Bosch here is playing the odds. Like, you know what? I'm really not sure how much I'm going to get from these people. So I don't want to be the dick and kick the hotel manager out. But I'm just saying for me, it would not have been optimal to have the hotel manager there because Ash Bosch says here in this little passage, he felt as though that some of the employees were holding back because they is an unwritten rule. No, I'm sorry. There was a written rule that they couldn't have any affiliation with the uh, hotel guests while they're being an employee of the hotel. So, again, I noticed that. I wanted to point that out to you. It's nothing major. I just wanted to point that out. Now, one of the things that Bosch points out here is, and it is true, the hotel casinos have some of the best security that you would ever see. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of money. And so back in 1995, even to this day, they digitize, they know who you are, face, facial recognition, every, you, you, you name it, I bet they have some of the best, well, I've, I've seen some of the government stuff. And I can tell you, everything they have is on par, if not sometimes better, because they, they have an unlimited budget on par with the, the government when it comes to surveillance. And you see, again, back in 1995, 
even to this day in 2021, that still holds true. Now, one of the things that Bosch asked the hotel manager to do is pull up video of Aliso. And he said, I just want to get a feel for him. You know, what is he doing? What's his mannerism? Again, the same thing that him and Ryder, him and Bosch and Ryder talked about when it came to Miss Alicio's videotape. And again, it, that's what you want to do as a criminal investigator. You want to get a measure of the person you're investigating. Because you could be investigating something like, wow, that sure seems out of character why this person was doing that. Or you can say, oh, this is right in character why this person was doing it. So again, some of those just intangibles that you got to get out and intermingle with people. You just can't, as we always say, you got to get up. Well, Bosch says you got to get out of your ass and knock on some doors. This is in a sense of getting off your ass and knocking on some doors. And I, again, just want to point that out. So while Bosch is viewing or getting a measure of Tony Liso, he tells the video op- operator, stop. Hope, pause right here and rewind that. And so from that point until we review, so now I'm talking to Michael Conley. Michael Conley, I hope you're listening. You SOB. <laughs> what I'm talking about is from that point until we, we as the readers find out that the person at the table who's interacting with Tony Aliso is Eleanor Wish took 375 words. Yes. Michael, I I went back and I counted it. <laughs> 375 words for that excellent reveal. And I don't know about you guys, that was like, boom, a bombshell. Like, I totally forgot about Eleanor Wish. And if you're new to this podcast and new to Michael Connolly's writing, and this is your, your fifth book, you're in series, you, you're, you're reading the book in series, and that's what you happen to come upon right now, Trunk Music, get used to this type of writing. And this is one of the reasons why I still to this day have read all his books because you can never forget about anybody because he brings them back at the most impromptu time. Did you ever think right now and the way he brought Eleanor Wish back into Harry Bosch's life? I mean, just masterful. So, but, you know, Michael Conley, I swear to goodness, I was like, really, Michael? It took you 375 words to let us know it was Eleanor Wish? Yeah, but it was great. It was phenomenal. And, you know, because think about it. We fell in love with Harry Bosch back in the Black Echo. And back in the Black Echo, Eleanor Wish was a very integral part of Harry Bosch. She was kind of the mirror to him. And I know that I had some type of feelings. And I spoke about it back then in the Black Echo podcast, how things had ended with Bosch and Eleanor. And again, we all grow up and seeing Eleanor brought back a whole host of regrets and the way that things ended between Harry and Eleanor. And it did for me too. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it did for me just as Harry is articulating here in this portion of the book. I also kind of said to myself, you know, maybe because I, I was righteous at the time. I remember, you know, being a little more hard ass, a little hard nosed about Eleanor and what she did and didn't do. And we see, as Bosch does here, he reflects back on it and has some serious regrets on what he did and how he handled the situation with Eleanor. So after Bosch leaves uh, Metro, he goes back to the hotel and waiting for a uh, phone call, you know, to call in to a prearranged meeting with the investigative team. 
And not just to belabor a point, but here again, like I was just prior saying, is that I kind of miss those days where you had to go to a, a specific location to make a phone call and to do something opposed to having a phone. I mean, of course, the phone being on your hip, you got the whole Internet. You could do a bunch of search. Yes, it is more convenient and more timely. But I do sometimes miss being detached and not having that instant access on my hip so I can focus on the investigation. I hope you guys can understand that. But so we see Bosch at the hotel. Um, call in to talk to the investigative team. And he tells the investigative team that, yeah, you know, Donovan pretty much told me that, you know, uh, Detective Carbone from OCID has been stiff around his case. And everyone knows, Edgar pointed it out, that there's something crazy about that. That this should have been taken over by OCID. And the mere fact that Detective Carbone is sniffing around his case, asking for fingerprints, just reeks that something is wrong. <laughs> but you know, everyone knows I haven't hit it. Edgar is my favorite guy. Good, bad, or indifferent. And one of the things I love that Edgar does, <laughs> he says from the book, so what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> now, all jokes aside, what Edgar kind of did was very dick move by asking a question like that in front of the lieutenant and in front of the investigative team kind of boxes Lieutenant Billings. And, you know, Edgar, he's still feeling salty by, because Edgar knows this. He knows this, but he's feeling salty about OCID not taking the case over for the fact that he's been doing all the paperwork. And he's actually boxing the Lieutenant Billings in to handle this, to make a decision right now in front of the investigative team. <laughs> you know, Edgar's a dick, you know, and I love Edgar. I love Edgar. And not to give you a thing away, I, I've been bursting for three books, I'm gonna be for four books. You guys are gonna see, okay, Phil, why do you have this uh, infatuation for Edgar? It's coming. Just, just trust, trust me, it's coming. It's coming. What happens again with Lieutenant Billis' supervisor's decision to keep the case and work it? Again, it just justifies my belief for the last three um, podcasts concerning this book so far, why I have so much faith in, I hype her up so much because most, again, I said it before, I said it again, we all know what Harvey 98 pounds would have done. He would have said, man, I'm calling Chief Irving. I'm saying, blah, 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 this is bullshit. I'm out of here. But Billis has enough cojones that she said, you know what? Hey, they passed on it. You guys keep going with it. Just be careful. Just be careful. And then we see Ryder pretty much break down a quick overview of a money laundering investigation. And, you know, she was jazzed. And as I was reading, remember, I came from financial background. And while she was reading it, I'm like, wow, I like that. Because she really breaks down uh, the whole money laundering or, or sham operation that it appears that Tony Aliso was operating. And, you know, we, I remember for the first time I read this, I was like, oh, my gosh. Again, Michael Connolly, when he writes these books, he's not just writing them without some really good intel or investigations with police officers to give that whole legitimacy to how he writes because the way he Ray Ryder 
broke down the case or against Tony Liso, the financial case that the IRS looked like they had started, was, again, true to the letter. It was really good. Now, some funny things about it, again, you got to remember this book was back in 1995. So some of the investigative tools she was using, we can now access just by phones. And, again, that's the other side. You know, like I was just saying, this coin about being detached from the office but not having that device, the electronic device with you. The other side is that the information is readily available so you can move your investigation along much faster. But again, I digress. I love the way the writer via Michael Connelly was breaking down the financial investigation so far into Tony Liso. And that brings us to this episode's question of the day. And the question of the day is from Trunk Music, Chapter 2A. From the book, the phone rang. Bosch jerked out of his reverie and answered it. It was Billick's. Okay, Harry, we're all here. Can you hear me all right? It's not good, but it probably won't get any better. Right. City equipment. Okay, let's start by everybody reporting on the day's event. Harry, you go first. All right. There's not much to tell. He went over the details, what he had done so far, stressing the missing bedding receipt as for something to watch out for. He told of his review of the surveillance tapes, but left out mention of his recognizing Eleanor Wish. He had decided that there was no definitive sign of a connection between her or Alicio, and for the time being, he would keep it to himself. Question. Do you agree with Harry for keeping the revelation that Eleanor Wish was seen with Alicio from the investigative team? Yes. At this point, it appears that she had no involvement. Or no, by not telling the team, he risked the team not trusting him. So I picked this particular question of the day. And I like it because it exposes something that I feel is very important to a healthy investigative team, which is trust. So the majority of you I would say 80% of you said, yes, you agree with Harry by not telling the investigative team because right now it appears as though that Eleanor has nothing to do with the Elisa murder. Now, see, I agree with that. I'm with the minority on here because the mere fact she does not have any involvement with the team, I mean, with the uh, Elisa murder, he should have told the team because it's trust. I mean, you got to be a little bit vulnerable, Harry, and, and I get why he didn't tell the investigative team, but I disagree with him. I think he should have told the investigative team because let's think about it. If this was reversed, if this was Edgar not telling the investigative team, if this was Ryder not telling the investigative team, Harry would go ballistic. So, you know, there's a little hypocrisy running here because we know how Harry would have reacted by keeping information from him, trusting him not to reveal that information and to reveal your secret. So, you know, Harry, if you want that, you're going to have to give that. So, again, I agree with, I disagree with you guys on this. Harry should have told the investigative team. But hey, I want to say thank you to everyone who uh, participated in the question of the day poll. And the comments that you guys put out there was really, really good. So let's keep it going. I really appreciate it. And let's get back to hitting the streets. And as we come for the break, I wanted to point out something to you guys 
You know, I'm so used to, well, one of the things I like pointing out is that Michael Connolly immersed the reader into the operational or behind the scenes of what us criminal investigators do and how we do it and what we're thinking. But one of the things that he also does, he just gives a rich bouquet of the people who interact with Harry Bosch. And one of the things that just, this, this portion I'm about to read, just encapsulate that from the book. I saw Tony there. He sent over a drink. Probably uh, three years ago, at least. I don't know what good that does you. Was he alone? No, he was with some broad. A young piece of fluff. No one I recognize. <laughs> and then another, another passage from the book. One more thing. Elna Wish. You know her? She was playing the cheap tables on Friday night. Tony played for a while at the same table. They looked at each other like they knew one another. I know a player named Eleanor. I never knew her last name. She's a looker, brown hair, brown eyes, still in nice shape, despite, as they say, the encroachment of time. <laughs> so, you know, just him talking to this hotel manager, this pit boss, I think it was, at least for me, gave me this really rich, as I, uh, again, I used to add bouquet, this really rich bouquet of who this individual is and what he's about. And that just adds so much to uh, Michael Connolly and the books and the Harry Bosch world. I, I just thought that was worth pointing out. So then we have um, Harry thinking about and regretting his actions that happened in the Black Echo concerning Wish. And, you know, one of the things I like about Mike, Michael Connolly also is how he, Harry Bosch is so complicated. You know, there is a lot of gray with Harry. You know, you think he comes off as black and white, good, bad, evil, not evil, you know, very, but he's not. There's a lot of gray. I would, to me, I would probably say he's maybe 10, 15% black, uh, 10, 15% gray, and all in between. I mean, black and white, and then in between is gray. And so, you know, he's thinking about what happened with Wish. And they regrets. And I like that. Again, real world, real life regrets. So then, you know, what I do like is Eleanor Wish didn't lose her skills. You know, she comes up behind Harry and, you know, she said um, she, he was easy to pick out um, in a crowd. He, you know, he couldn't never really do undercover work, which I think is kind of funny. Little um, spoiler alert here. Harry does do some undercover work on, in some later books. So, now, this next portion of the book, boy, you can just see Michael Connolly at the typewriter just typing away, but you see the anger that Wish has for Bosch, you know, upon their first meeting from the book. You were always obvious. I picked you out one minute after you were here. I would have gotten up, but I had to bring the guy from Kansas along. He thought he knew I was bluffing. He ain't no shit. Just like you. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but when I start reading this, I'm thinking, Harry, this is not going to be one of those kumbayas. Let's hug it up and, you know, keep on going with our romance type of moment here. <laughs> and then things go from uh, bad to worse. From the book. You look like you were doing pretty good out there, he tried. Better than most nights. I got a quota. I get it and get out. Quota? Whenever I get up 200, 
I cash out. I'm not greedy. I know luck doesn't always last long on a given night. I never lose more than 100, and if I'm lucky enough, I get 200 ahead. Then I'm done for the night. I got up there early tonight. How'd you? He stopped himself. He knew the answer. How'd I learn to play poker well enough to live off of? You spend three and a half years inside. You learn how to smoke, play poker, and other things. She looked directly at him, as if to dare him to say, what other things? <laughs> now, remember, Michael Connelly has a thing about eyes. You know, that she smoked him with his eyes, with her eyes. You know, her eyes are, you know, bottom, bottomless black pits. You know, he's very vivid. He is, Michael Connelly is very vivid in his description of people's eyes. And, you know, again, if Harry's a bold dude, because remember, Harry's the one reason why Eleanor went to jail. Uh, she could have got away with it, but again, I don't want to give too much for people who haven't read the Black Echo. Go back, read the Black Echo, but boy, she's just spitting Ventum right now. So Harry is digging the hole even deeper because he's going on and on about regret, how he wish he would have think, done things differently, blah, blah, blah. But then Eleanor comes back with a fierce, I mean, she, she just has a fierce comeback from the book. Do you need a ride anywhere? No, I actually have a car of my own. Thank you. She started out of the bar in the direction of the front doors, but after a few yards, she stopped, came back to the table. You're right, you know. About what? About it not doing me any good now? With that, she left. Bosch watched her push through the front revolving doors and disappeared into the night. <laughs> yeah, this is not going to be the... Uh, I miss you, come kiss me type of moment between those two. <laughs> Boy. So then we see Bosch responds to Dolly's. Now remember, he told Lieutenant Billets that he was going to follow up at Dolly's and all that kind of stuff. Now, ladies and gentlemen, every major city has a Dolly's. We, it just does. I haven't been to a major city yet. It doesn't have a Dolly's. And, and they all pretty much have the same theme. So I'm pretty sure my listeners are, are uh, senior enough They've been to a quote-unquote Dolly's. And we see Bosch make a mistake that most men do when they see beautiful women. Because Bosch, as he gets in through the front doors, he sees a lady uh, on the stage dancing. And she's just beautiful, as he said. And he's just mesmerized because he had a false sense that beautiful women don't have, they usually have things easier in life. And if she had it easier, why is she up on the stage you know, revealing herself this way. And a lot of us guys, I did it when I was, especially young in my career, made fatal mistakes when it comes to, un, when it comes to underestimating female, especially female criminals. And I can tell you, listeners, one of the criminals that I not feared but respected the most was this one lady who was almost like a crime boss. I mean, she was, she was rough, tough, ran a tight ship. But a lot of, she got ahead because a lot of men underestimated her. And Michael Connolly gives voice to that underestimation here in this portion of the book. Okay, I'd like to pause here just to give a little story about, you know, doing undercover work at uh, bars. From the book, the dancer named Randy slipped out of her outfit and was nude except for a garter stretched tightly around her left thigh. Many of the men got up and met her as she danced their way slowly. They slid a dollar bill under the garter. 
and when a man put a five under her strap, Brandy bent over him, using his shoulders to steady herself, and did an extra wiggle and kissed his ears. Now, <laughs> you know, um, just a little background. Most of the time we do undercover work and you have to go into a bar. Uh, you have to have a cover team that goes inside and you have to play the patron. You got to kind of give dollar bills and all that kind of stuff to, to the females that's dancing. And I did it one or two times. And I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I, I never really liked being inside cover. I, I always wanted to be outside cover because it just made me feel queasy. Just, just who I am. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being inside cover. Uh, it just wasn't my scene. Just wasn't something that I preferred. So I preferred outside cover. And then we see once again, Michael Conley gives voice to never underestimate people by their profession. From the book. First of all, Layla does not work here anymore. I didn't know that when I talked to you last night, but she's gone and won't be back. And secondly, if you're Tony's friend, how come you in here asking me how to find her? <laughs> you know, see, <laughs> again, that's one of the things that if you are a Michael Connolly reader and anytime that you are dealing with law enforcement, or you're in law enforcement personnel, never underestimate people just because they're bartender they're a parking lot uh, uh, attendant or whatever. Because we don't know why they're there. That has nothing really to do with their intelligence. So going there thinking that they're, uh, they're lesser than, then you're going to actually hamper your investigation. I know it sounds kind of old and cliche, but treat people how you want to be treated. Treat them with respect, and you will be amazed how much that pays off when it comes to moving your investigation further. So then Bosch kind of says, okay, look, Rhonda, I'm a detective from L.A., Harry Bosch. I'm here investigating Tony's death. And her face looked more horrified that Bosch told her that uh, he was a cop opposed to Tony being dead. Now, again, Michael Connolly gives voice to this occurrence. I mean, I've seen it a million times where People are so afraid and it's been such a stigma about being quote unquote snitch that they rather keep information about a homicide to themselves than quote unquote help the police. Being a snitch is the worst thing, especially in this line. But no, no, you know what? Pretty much anywhere in life, some people just cannot phantom being what they call a snitch. And it's not actually being that way, but Hollywood does a really good job of uh, perpetuating that stereotype. So I don't see it going away any time soon. So Bosch says to himself, fuck, let me get out of here. You know, I, I can't get no information. You know, she knows I'm a police officer. She don't want to talk to me. So as he's leaving, Gussie uh, 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 ushers Bosch into a room with a manager. And again, Michael Connolly, again, these little things seem crazy, but I'm pretty sure if you're a Michael Connolly reader and you're listening to this podcast, you like these things also. From the book, I just got off the phone with Randy in the dressing room. She said you would ask about Tony Alicio. It was Rhonda. Rhonda, whatever, another the fuck mine. She said you said he was dead. He spoke with a Midwestern accent. Sounded like the south side of Chicago, Bosch guessed. You know, <laughs> I don't know. That just, <laughs> it's kind of like an Abbott and Costello moment there a little bit, but I loved it. 
So then without notice, the Gussie, we call the tuxedo guy, makes a move on Bosch, smacks him in his mouth, turns him around, um, frisks him, finds his gun and badge. And, you know, he throws the gun and badge to, that we know the individual by the owner as Lucky. And, and Lucky says, Hieronymus Bosch, he's that fucking famous painter. And again, just what I was just saying, just because someone's in a different lifestyle, here's this guy who understands this 16th century Dutch painter, uh, Hieronymus Bosch. So that's one of those things, again, it goes just to prove what I just said. You can't underestimate somebody. So then we see Bosch use of tried and true investigative method by waiting a person out. Now, what I mean by waiting a person out is Bosch is interviewing Lucky, and Lucky is reluctant to give information. But most of the time, people just want to talk to you. If you have to talk to the police, just talk to them and get them out. Get them out of your life. We don't want to deal with them, so I'm going to tell them something just to get them out of there. So Bosch is asking Lucky questions, and Lucky's kind of being reluctant to answer the questions. So Bosch just waits them out. And then Lucky relents and says, yeah, 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 and starts giving him information. Again, that, again, Michael Connelly is just giving you guys insight to some of the basic techniques of law enforcement. And that's one of the ones we use all the time, waiting a particular uh, interviewee out. And again, Michael Connelly does um, brilliantly is, again, giving you, the reader, insight to how you, what we call, cooperation so we can cooperate uh information we heard from someone else or from another source from the book Bosch just nodded so far his story had jibed with the phone message Layla had left for Alicio by drawing out of the blonde man Bosch was getting a sense of how much he could be believed again that's one of those things again cooperation we just we cooperated exactly what has happened with a the different person kind of like triangulation and again that's just a good example of that Okay, I wanted to give you guys another quick story. The quote-unquote pussy dust is real. <laughs> now, Lucky does a good job of describing what pussy dust is and what it does. And you, the reader, might think, ah, is that such a thing? Yes, it is. Uh, we had this one strip here, and it was known for prostitution. And guys would ride up and down the strip getting... Um, or soliciting prostitution for sexual acts. And one of the times I was doing the cover <laughs> and I rode up on uh, a lady on a strip and, you know, she, she had a very short mini skirt on and uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. She opened her legs up and then her pubic area, her vagina area was this gold dust. <laughs> And she said to me, she pointed, this right here, baby, is golden. (laughs) So, pussy dust is real. (laughs) So then we uh, see Bosch ask for a number for Layla, because he's trying to find Layla. And Lucky says, I don't have that kind of stuff. I don't have those type of records. And Bosch said, come on, man. We were doing good. Do you want your boy here, Gussie, to go up on charges for assaulting a police officer? And I love what happens next from the book. And as far as the assault thing goes with Gussie, if you want to do that dance, we'll do it. But remember, you're the guy who came in here, didn't announce himself, never said who he was, had four beers in less than an hour, assaulted one of the dancers before we asked you to leave. 
I can have affidavits to that effect in an hour. Again, you know, I, the line, we could do that dance. I, 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 I can't, I got a list of questions to ask Michael Connolly. I said that all the time. When I'm interviewing somebody, or if they, you know, somebody's being, um, in, uh, not being cooperative, I would say to them, oh, you want to do that dance? Oh, we, we could do that dance all day long. So I saw that here in the book, and I'm like, wow, you know, again, just one of the many things that connected me with Michael Conley, and I, I wanted to share with you guys. And that gets us to this episode's Everybody Counts or Nobody Counts person. And my Everybody Counts or Nobody Counts person for the first portion of uh, Chapter 2, Trunk Music, is Rhonda. Now, I picked Rhonda because how she represents just this. Everybody counts or nobody counts. She's a smart person, intelligent just because she's a dancer at a strip club doesn't mean that she's less intelligent and that she has something or didn't have something to give to your investigation. And again, she represents that. What I've been saying throughout this whole podcast, actually, hell, what I've been saying uh, throughout all these podcasts is don't overlook the little person. Don't don't underestimate somebody just because of their station in life. So once again, my everybody counts or nobody counts person for Trunk Music Chapter 2 is Rhonda. Well, this concludes the first part of Chapter 2's review of Trunk Music. Boy, again, I tell you guys, thank you for hanging in with me. Um, getting back in the saddle. I'm trying to put out more podcasts faster and faster, so I plan on doing that. But as always, you can find me on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And continue, continue to rate me five stars or better. Also, leave comments and questions. Those things are valuable, and I will try to answer them if I can. So, yes, please go to www.thethemblueonepod.com for more investigative contents concerning Michael Conley and Harry Bosch. And while you're there, leave comments or questions. I'm here to answer those things. I like to do more interacting with the listeners so that I could incorporate that into the podcast. So next up on the Thin Blue Line, we will continue our deep dive into Chapter 2, Trunk Music. As always, I'm Phil Parker, and on 10-7 for the remainder. <laughs>